it's a lot from the school system because mm-hmm. in the school system, why, why we read a book? We read a book just to memorize it. When it's a time for the exam, we write it all out. So it's really like, I need to know exactly what the person said and depend on where you study, depend on where in the world or the type of school system. Even like if you write the same words that the person said, then you are an excellent student. Mm-hmm. It's not about interpreting it, connecting it. How can you apply those ideas? What is behind what the book is saying, you know. So we learned this a lot in school that like consuming uh, what other people wrote is just like knowing exactly the words that they use. And if I know the, the words that they use in the first time I read, I don't need to read ever again, right? Whereas I believe that when you read a book, it's really like, how does this book resonate with me? How can I use these ideas in a particular situation how does it connect with a problem i'm trying to solve how which ideas or like dreams does it brings to me so it's really like what else can we get from the book and that's what will change Hello, PKMers. Welcome back to Personal Knowledge Management with Aiden Halfon, the podcast where I interview fellow PKMers and dive into the unique ways they use their PKM systems for work, creativity, and life. This week, we have Bianca Pieria, a researcher and educator who's built the prolific researcher community with the goal of making research simple. She helps writers think like a researcher and build their own low friction workflows to capture, organize, and grow their ideas into research-based content. In this episode, you will learn how to adopt the mindset of a researcher into your PKM workflow, why you should add your unique perspective and interests into your notes, and why you should link together notes at the atomic level. This was really a joy to record with Bianca. I feel we really had a quite a vulnerable conversation, and I think tons and tons of people will get value out of it. So I really hope that you enjoy. I'm personally really excited to talk to you, Bianca, because I was a part of your PCAM research course, Build Your Knowledge Portfolio, where I, I learned all about creating a knowledge portfolio, a collection of works, books, blog posts, academic articles, videos, anything that shows how you have the knowledge and expertise you claim. So the first thing that I thought would be a a good route to go down is if you could tell us your story, how did you get to where you are today? Well, (laughs) there are many, many paths that that I took that lead me to where I am today. Uh, So today uh, I, I was a researcher for many, many years, like official researcher really working with research since 2010 uh, until mm-hmm. like pretty much last year when I, I quit academia. Uh, and now uh, I'm here uh, as a, a, a educator, creating a course online, try to build a community. And then in the process of doing research is where I saw the, a very big need for PKM, you know, because mm-hmm. we are consuming knowledge, playing with knowledge, growing knowledge, everything is about knowledge. And we don't talk much about, okay, how can we manage this knowledge? Usually it's like, okay, it's inside our heads. We have some highlights here and there. We wrote a few notes, maybe just saying what what did what the lecturer told during the class and those are our notes and that's it, you know? <laughs> but then when it comes to research, it's really like, okay, now what is your contribution? And you're like, what? <laughs> 
You know, so that's that was a path that was for me when I became was a need for me. Okay, it was not just like, oh, yeah, it would be nice to have, but it's like, you need to have. Uh, otherwise, it's really, really hard. Writing becomes a real, real struggle. So that's what brought me a little bit uh, into where I am today. I started seeing the problems of like not having a PKM uh, when I try to deal with too much information and try to create new ideas. Mm-hmm. And at the end, uh, I started exploring, okay, I need, I need to do it. And I started uh, looking to what PKM is, I did some course myself in PKM. I read many things and I started to mix that with my experience in research, you know, my the practice itself. I say, okay, how can it actually work when I'm trying to do research? Uh, but also with my own research itself, because my research in, in knowledge representation. So how can you represent knowledge? How can you get the knowledge that is inside of our minds and create a representation you can look at, that you can even send to or to other place or actually have the computer processing uh, that. Mm. So I mixed all those things and I started just giving talks, like just chatting with people really, you know, chatting with other researchers, other people who are not researchers, but they like it PKM. And then people start to get interested and they start to have questions about it. Then I said, okay, let's see if we can have some coaching. And I started to see the same questions coming over and over again to a point that I said, well, let me try to create a course about that. Let's see, let's see what happens, you know? And that's where I arrived at where I am today when I have like a full course, a full community. And I try to create even more course because there are always more questions that come out of the process of, of doing PKM and for what we use PKM for. So that's a little bit mm. of how, how I arrived here today, I think. Mm. One of the things you said which was particularly interesting to me is pkm was a need like it was something that you didn't know you you needed but once you had discovered it it changed everything i wanted to dive a bit more into that what was it about pkm that was so life-changing and how what was it like before you discovered (laughs) personal knowledge management yeah there are a few things Uh, i think it what we actually note there is something really, really wrong is when you try to write uh, research, when you try to create a paper, or even for people who are not researchers, they're like, well, research is not for me. Actually, there are many people doing research and they don't call that. For example, they try to write a book or they are trying just to get like multiple sources and try to make sense of all this like big amount of information to write something, even write like blog posts or content uh, for social media. Uh, they don't see themselves as researchers, but they do things that researchers need to do. Uh, mm. So for me, uh, the need really came. I said, okay, we need to write this long form piece or this piece where I need to get information from multiple places, plus my experiments, plus everything. I need to make sense of it all and then write. Okay. And what usually happens uh, is that uh, perfectionism kicks in because mm. we have like a blank page. We we studied a lot, we researched a lot, we did a lot of stuff, and then it's like, okay, now write. And then you're like, I know what I want to say, right? I have everything in my mind. And when you put a blank page in front of you, nothing comes out. That's one option, okay? For some people, like nothing comes out. And then the second option is when the person starts writing and then they come back and then they come back and then they come back. So it's like you spend four hours writing one paragraph which is almost the same as having the blank page. So that's when we started notice, I started noticing like there is something wrong. Why am I why I'm struggling so much to write something that I know about? I did it, like I studied all these things. Uh, and that's where I started to notice, well, maybe if I have some notes, maybe if I have uh, organized these things and then you start doing what you could be doing along the way from the very first day, you start doing when you're already like, okay, I need to get this done. Let's say I need to write this thesis, I need to deliver this report, I need to publish 
publish this paper by the deadline. And then we will start doing everything at the same time. Mm. So that's when we start to notice that the problem exists, really. Yeah. I think one of the things you hit upon, which was really powerful for me especially, is even if we aren't in academic researchers, in academic research, we all research in some way. We all need to research in some way. And as an undergraduate myself, I wasn't exactly the target audience for build your knowledge portfolio being more oriented towards uh, academic researchers. But I still found tremendous value because research is a fundamental skill that I think everyone would benefit from having. It just allows you to understand the world and the things that you're interested in so much better. Uh, One of the topics I recently dove into using the skills I learned in the course was what is friendship? What is what makes powerful friendships? It was through the process of researching using the skills that you learn in the course that I was able to do so in such a more cohesive and uh, clear manner. And I ended up coming out with all these insights about what friendship was that actually carried over into my life outside of the research, because then I realized, oh, wow, like this is what makes a powerful friend. And now I can try and create and foster more powerful friendships in my real life. Well, I, I'm really happy to, to hear that uh, because all the time we're always like, uh, we have the course, we have the, the community and we are talking, but it's always like, how did it go in real life? So uh, I'm really happy to hear how, how it went for you. And that's true because one of the things that uh, I disagree uh, because there is all this belief that uh, research is like, if you need to go to a PhD, you need to go mm-hmm. like to the whole academic process. And you know there is this rigor and struggle. And I, I say, <laughs> research should be one research should be easy should not never be a struggle you know challenging yes because creating new things is there is always a level of challenge but never a struggle and mm. like research that skill that you can use every anywhere you know uh, and everywhere so if i'm in a business if i'm in my early studies if i'm just in my life you know it's really like uh, how how to be curious about the world that's one thing how to organize uh, the thoughts and i like to think about uh, thinking like a researcher so what is to think like a researcher? It's really like, how can I think in first principles? So what are the reasons behind the things that we see, behind all the things that we read? So what is the cause of something? So it's really like, rather than just, if I read something, rather than just repeat what the person said, I can repeat if I want, if I really like that, that what the person is exactly saying. But like, mm-hmm. what is behind what they said? What are the things that led them to think on that way? You know, so that's one of the things that we can use in anything in life, right? If you have a problem, we don't want to just, okay, this is a problem. Let's let's try to solve directly that thing. Because sometimes the actual problem is hidden behind that. What was the cause for that problem? If you work on the cause, the problem disappears, right? Mm. So you can use it for everything. So that's one of the things to really like thinking like a researcher. I want to dive more into that. What are some of the things you think are most important about thinking like a researcher that when you learned back when you first got into PCAM really helped you? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of PCAM, well, there is one of the things, but I say one of the things to think on the first principles, but then 
come another one that comes is really like connecting the dots, right? Which is really like when you think on that's something I like to say that there is a landscape of ideas. When you look at something, there are multiple things that we can perceive. But then when you when you really want to try to make sense of that thing, we cannot make sense of everything at the same time. Sometimes it's just too overwhelming to think about multiple things at the same time. Our head just cannot hold it. So it's really like exactly. (laughs) So how can we actually start to create uh, converting that those multiple things into objects into things that we can think about so those Mm. are what they call the individual ideas so how can we start separating that whole complex situation in small parts okay so that you can start making sense of them and everyone's kind of used to do that now i try to understand a problem try to understand the different parts but what what the main problem is that when you start to uh, identify the parts we forget to put those parts together again right we start we stop uh, connecting them Let's see, what are the connections between them? How one part impacts on the world or the other? How can they maybe they create a new thing by putting two different things together, for example? So when you start to get a situation, break down in different parts, and you start reflecting about the parts, it reflects about these different ideas, how they connect, how we can grow things from them. That's where the big power comes. And when it comes to PKM, when you're taking notes, we forget that there is a landscape and then there are uh, those small ideas. We just write uh, like a huge note that is almost like a full report, multiple ideas in there, like many things, you know. And we, we don't see those small parts and we don't see what the, the things we can do with them. That's one option. Or the other option, our notes are just like, okay, I read this whole book, which I have like tons of ideas that we could use and I just summarize. I create one paragraph that just say, ah, this book talks about X and we lost all the other things that were actually, that we connect with, that we care about. So I think that the second thing is really like connecting the dots, but to connect the dots, you need to extract the dots from this big picture, let's say. Mm. So it sounds like a critical part of research is, 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 is finding those like really golden nugget ideas and figuring out how can you create a note where the focal point is on that golden nugget, yeah. but still being able to connect it to other golden nuggets that you found in a way that just creating one hub note where you summarize everything is is not going to allow you to do because so much is lost in the the summarization process if they're uh if, if you don't do the those like isolated golden nugget connecting of ideas yeah. could you give us uh an example of like maybe a a research endeavor that you you worked on where this process was like really really helpful well it's always hard to think about the examples that are not too complex to explain <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a. I have some simple examples that I give, like during during the course itself, you know. Yeah. So, but those are like very thought experiments. Mm-hmm. So really, the main thing is that you can, for example, from the same book, you can when you summarize, different people can summarize the same book in different ways. That's why, like you, you cannot just like if you give a book to someone, doesn't mean that they would get extract the same thing that. I extracted when I was reading it because we are focusing on different things. And as I just say, like when you're summarizing, we are eliminating many things just to say this is a summary that represents what the book is all about. So different people have different perspectives, you know. So then mm. they will summarize the same book and it will not be the same idea. Mm. But when you start extracting uh, those ideas, then we can decide what 
what you can do about that. So I'm just trying to think like what what would be a nice, an interesting example that can make sense. Because we, we talk about a lot about complexity and, and that's the idea of complexity. But the examples that we always use are always the same. Uh, for example, ah, you have uh, cells, okay? Those are the parts. Because mm-hmm. those cells come together, they interact in a given way. Then they create a tissue. And because the tissues come together, they interact in a given way, they create organs and then create the whole human body. So the human body itself is a thing. We can talk about it. Okay. It has characteristics that the individual parts don't have. For example, a human being can speak. A cell cannot speak, right? Mm. So <laughs> by getting those, the interaction between the parts, uh, we can create new ideas from that. And when you think about concepts, concepts work exactly the same way. Uh, for example... We can say uh, someone uh, order uh, someone purchase something from a place. So a place is a, an idea. We can talk a lot about, about that. A specific store, for example, we can talk about that. We can talk about a person, and we can talk about uh, the person purchasing from a specific uh, item. We can talk about the item as well. So usually, when you take notes, you say ah, we talk about the item, we talk about the person, and we talk about the place. We think that notes, when they, they are ideas, they should be just topics or concepts. But actually, when you put those three things together and the relation that they have, there is something that emerges from that with a purchase order, for example, right? A purchase order only exists because a person purchased an item in a store, you know? Mm. So that's a very simple way how, like, just by knowing that those things interact, there is something that emerges from that interaction. So that's one mm. of the ways how we can, by separating ideas and connecting the dots between them, how they relate to each other, we can see things that actually grow from that. So that's just one way of doing that. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful way of thinking about ideas because let's say like for fun, imagine all the people that are reading books, but they they feel like they're not getting into that deeper level of understanding with them. Like maybe a couple months later, they think back upon a book that they read and, you know, maybe they don't remember the ideas from it that well or how it might connect to other areas of their life. I notice that such a, a profound difference happens in your reading habit when you start to treat books as fundamentally connected to each other, not just books, any information. For example, one of the the times that I felt really affected me with this process was I was reading a book called Theory of Fun for Game Design by Raf Koster. I was reading this book because I used to be myself very addicted to video games to the point where it was taking away from my ability to to do the things that I wanted to in life. I wasn't able to to pursue the goals I wanted to. I was very uh, constrained to just trying to kill as many creepers in Minecraft. And I wanted to read this book because it, it had a theory for why are games so engaging? You know, how do they get you to, to want to do this instead of pursuing real life uh, things? And by reading this book, extracting like the golden nugget ideas like games are so engaging because they have a clear goal, clear rules, a feedback loop, uh, a gameplay system. I was then able to try and connect those ideas to other books like Flow by Mihao Shetmihai or uh, other books on game design like Half Real. 
And through that connection process, I came out with like all these new ideas, which actually helped me overcome my video game addiction because I realized what it is that makes games so engaging can be literally applied to real life. I mean, for example, flow theory by Mihao Shemihai, one of the critical ideas is we're motivated and driven to do things when they fall in our Goldilocks zone, when they're just hard enough that they're not boring, but they're not so hard that we're frustrated and we stop. And then you start applying that in your real life. And suddenly it was like a whole new world opened up simply from this connection process of like mm-hmm. coming out with new ideas. Yeah. And what I find interesting what you just said, because it says uh, books relate to each other, they connect to each other. There is something that I like to say as well, because when people think about research or information or knowledge in general, we think like there is a very objective, like knowledge is something out there and we can connect. Uh, and people are like, okay, we have now AI, we just throw books inside, AI will just split the knowledge for us, so we don't need to think too much, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, and then it's like, well, uh, AI will get the, the role of research, and I will say, I, I don't think it will ever. Uh, and the main reason is that, for some, even in your journey, as you talk about, what connected all those sources was you, was your experience, was your interest, was, was the background knowledge that you had, you know? So we, we, are involved in the process of research. When you we when you are reading something, we come with a focus. For example, you say, "Well, I came from this experience that I love games, you know." So then I will read like more about gamification. Why are games so addictive to to me? You know, from my experience. And when you read mm-hmm. the book, you are bringing a lot of your experience to the process of reading, to the process of extracting ideas, to the process of understanding itself. Because to understand what someone else tried to say, we need to map to our own experience, our own uh, our own mm. ideas and background knowledge. So the research is a lot of uh, is a part of the process, and that's what AI doesn't AI doesn't have an experience, a personal experience. You know what they mm. can do, what AI can do is really just get the text about your personal experience and maybe try to connect with other things, which will be very helpful yeah. for us to find nice sources. But the research is is like is very important to the process of research itself. Yeah. 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 And when it comes actually another thing, which uh, the connection to the source. Because every time we talk about uh, with a professional researcher, let's say, they always talk about uh, sources and references and paper and stuff like that and I think most people are like why you do that uh, and I think the process really like when you put ourselves in the process of reading and learning and creating things especially if you want to create a, a, a report and output a product whatever it is there is a lot of bias in there you know because we are always focused on something and every time you focus on something, forget everything else. So every perspective is always biased, right? Mm. And the main thing for researchers is that we don't we don't we don't say it's objective, you know, it's unbiased. There's no such thing as unbiased. What we do is to make the bias explicit. So we make everything explicit by saying, look, I got this idea from this source and I interpreted it in this way. Then I connected this idea of this, what I, I got from this other source, which I interpreted in this way. And when I put them together based on experience or based on some data or based on some or some experience that I did, then they come together through this way. And usually the, when they come together, it's really the experience. The person is the one connecting those different sources together. You know, is there mm. whatever they observe it, you know? And that's what creates the third thing or to think like a researcher, which is like creating original ideas. Yeah. You know? There's something you said in there which reminded me of a, a idea that I heard, which is the, the scientific process is objective, but scientists are not. And in some ways, a lot of people say that as as a negative thing. But I think actually, 
that leaning into your unique perspective, your unique experience as a researcher, while you do have to be cognizant that there might be some biases in how you interpret the information you come across because of that, I think it makes the whole process beautiful because I can say there's no way I or many of the other people I know who love learning would have been able to keep it up as long as they are right now if they didn't dive into those rabbit holes of interest. Like you read one book on, I mean, with just the story we just went through, like you read one book on gamification. Oh, suddenly I'm at flow theory. Oh, now somehow that brought me to deep work by Cal Newport. Oh, now I'm in the power of moments by Chip and Dan Heath. It's just this like miraculous uh, diving into different information that raises more questions, which raise even more questions. And then that causes you to just take this journey that you didn't even know you were going to be on in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing of bias is really that we need to make it explicit so that as a community, we eliminate bias. Because if I'm looking mm-hmm. for a perspective and say, but what about from this perspective? What about from this perspective? What about from this other perspective? So then at the end, the knowledge that we are generating as a community, we are trying to have a knowledge that uh, has the least bias as possible. And one way to eliminate bias is actually from looking from different perspectives. Let's say, well, rather than being biased towards this perspective, now let's see how the same situation it looks like from this other perspective. Let's exper- like do experiments. And we need to write in a way that other people can see what you are talking about from that perspective that we are talking about. So that's why it's mm. important the mm. reproducibility, why we need to, other people to be able to reproduce what you are saying that we have done, you know. So it's really like why, why at least professional research will read into the details on how you did something that is very systematic to really say, how did I arrive at this conclusion? Like, so this was all the process, this was all the, interp- all the interpretation that I took to arrive at this specific conclusion. So that's why sometimes a little bit dull in the way how, how professional researchers write, but that's the reason why we go through all that process. And when it comes mm. to PKM itself, uh, for us, that's where we connect our sources with our ideas, right? So that's really like, this was the source and this is the, my idea. And this is how my idea connects to what I actually read in the source. This was a place where I read in the source and this is where I took out of it. Because mm. if we, even the same person, if you read the same book in 10 years, we may get different interpretations from the same, the same page in a book. Because now we have different experience, we have different knowledge. So we are a different person. So we, we create different things from, from what we, we, we read. Mm. So when it comes to PKM, that's why I like to say, please stop quoting. <laughs> put your, <laughs> your interpretation there. Put your ideas in there. <laughs> yeah. You never enter the same river twice. Yeah. Because you're always different when you when you enter it. Um, yeah. And like I think that's it's it's interesting because a lot of people I know have a distaste for rereading books because it's like, oh, I've already read it once. Why would I read it again? But every time you reread it, you've come at it with a different perspective, whether just because you're older or you read some other books or whatever. So you get completely new ideas out of it in the end. Uh, There was another thing you said before that about how important it is in research to get different researchers looking at the same thing through their perspectives. And what that reminded me of is this book that I just recently finished called uh, My Side Bias, The Bias That Divides Us. What My Side Bias is, is a disinclination to leave a favored hypothesis. And one of the best ways to try and fight against it is 
simply just to surround yourself with people that have different perspectives. Because when you do that, now, even if you have a biased lens through which you're analyzing the information, you'll be able to enter into some sort of conversation with someone who has a different lens. And that way you can come to a more deeper understanding compared to if you were just in your own little echo chamber researching with just yourself uh, and not getting any outside perspective. I think from what you said, there are, there are two things that I would like to comment. Uh, one, uh, on the bias thing and surround yourself with people who think differently. That's why I don't, don't know if you remember that we have the argument battles as part of the community. Oh, yeah. 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 I love that name, by the way. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, I don't know, like the idea is really for us to bring what's our argument what's the thing that you want to write about what is the thing that you want to uh, explain to other people and put in front of the community and some of the people are like well but everyone here is so from so different areas you know there are people like from from medicine there are people from journalists there are people who like farming agriculture there's like your cognitive biases you know the people from computer science like what's the point i was like well that's the best thing the best place where you can because people will come uh, comment on your argument from so many different angles that it enriches a lot uh, the process of thinking and, and the argument itself so mm -hmm. that, that's one of the things like well I really agree with you. it's really like surround yourself with people and the more diverse the better because they'll come with things that you're like I will never think about it <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah and And my other comments about the books, uh, I think like this thing that we we have, we, we get this idea that we should read a book just once. It's a lot from the school system because mm -hmm. in the school system, why, why we read a book? We read a book just to memorize it. When it's a time for the exam, we write it all out. So it's really like, I need to know exactly what the person said and depend on where you study, depend on where in the world or the type of school system. Even like if you write the same words that the person said, then you are an excellent student. You know, mm. it's not about interpreting it, connecting it. How can you apply those ideas? What is behind uh, the, the, what the book is saying, you know? So we learned this a lot in school that like consuming uh, what other people wrote is just like knowing exactly the words that they use. And if I know the, the words that they use in the first time I read, I don't need to read ever again, right? Whereas mm. I believe that when you read a book, it's really like, how does this book resonate with me? How can I use those ideas in particular situation how does it connect with a problem that i'm trying to solve how which ideas or like dreams does it brings to me so it's really like what else can we get from the book and that's what will change uh, if we read in that way that's what will change if let's say read now and read in 10 years time the book will not be the same because our experience and things you can connect to again like connecting the dots is what uh, will differ so that's mm -hmm. i i want to hear from From that, when do you think if there was like a definitive moment, when do you think that your mindset towards information and, and reading where you like connect it to your own experience, when did that change for you? And, and what was it? like before for some reason i think i always like to read it that way that's why reading in school was always a problem to me because i was like oh this is so boring you know that because we have like his i was i was learning history mm -hmm. and i wanted to know how that how those people lived you know i, I want to really feel how how was their life at that time but mm -hmm. everything that we learned is like in 1940 this happened in 1950 some of this person you know i was like what why why is that you <laughs> know 
So I think I, I was always annoyed with that. And I naturally, when I, I noticed, it was in 2015, I was in US in an internship, uh, in, in an internship there. And then I was reading, I don't remember what the source anymore. At that time, I didn't have a PKM. Okay? <laughs> so I was really bad at that. So I was reading that people can actually read a source in two different ways. You know, the, the way how I map that I remember nowadays, I say a person can read the words that are there or they can read between the lines. Okay. And I was like, what, what does it mean? <laughs> you know? And then I started to notice that I was, my way of reading was between the lines. And if you ask me, I just read one page and you say, what is written there? I would say, I don't know, but I can explain all the ideas that were in there. Okay. And then at the time I talked with my husband, which was my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, talk of him. And he actually read the words, you know? And I was like, wow. And he could actually remember the words. He was very like what the person actually said. And I was like, what did the person actually mean? You know, what the person meant by what they said. And that's where I started my exploration into really like, mindsets i mean the very beginning of my exploration about mindsets or, or the different ways of reading or you know so that's where i started noticing there is a little bit more on that and when i start questioning that's where it's okay well when you're reading between the lines you're putting much more of yourself in there because you are the one building what is the person trying to say you know it's not just the words but what's the person actually trying to say where where we are reading the word where you're actually asked to read the words in school that is really like okay memorize it and that's it we stop in the memorization, you know. So I think if I can put a date, it would be 2015 while, when I was in a bus coming back from my internship. <laughs> that would be a point in time when I started actually noticing that there are different uh, ways of thinking and even connecting with our own source, connecting with our own reading. Mm, that's beautiful. And it's amazing how how well you can remember when you first started doing that because it it really is like a an emotional experience i remember i was sitting at the dining room table in my house with my my family doing a book club and we we're reading this book called the death of ivan illich which is a russian novel where a lawyer is decorating his house when he stumbles into the frame of staircase hits his abdomen for the next three months he slowly dies <laughs> in front of his whole family and his friends and the interesting thing is the the worst part about his dying is not the physical pain of going through the the three months but rather the mental anguish of his family and his friends and even his doctor acting as if nothing is wrong. And I remember when we were talking about it with my family that my brother, my dad and I had had this incredible experience reading the book because we realized there was so much more going on than just the outside frame of the book, which was somebody is dying, their family uh, doesn't realize they're dying. There was like implications to you know, what does it mean to truly be there for someone? And what does it mean to go your whole life pursuing a career that you end up not finding fulfilling? Uh, what does it mean to have a true relationship? And the reason it was so uh, interesting is because then my brother, my dad and I, while we're talking about it, and my mom sitting there as well are like, yeah, you know, do you do you guys ever think about death? And like my brother, my dad and I are like, yeah, all the time. And then my mom looks at us and she's a science teacher and she's like what like <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> and she she hadn't uh read behind the words nearly to the same extent um 
So she had not gotten like those uh, implications from from the book until we talked about him. But after we did talk about them, she started to experience it in the next book that we read uh, slowly because it's it's a skill that takes time to build. But like she started noticing there's there's so much more to a novel, for instance, than you would think just reading the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just completely missed what I was, I was actually thinking when you when you talk about that. So Sofia's came to came into mind. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's I find that really really ah okay I remember really interesting because it's the same thing for example when you watch movies because maybe it's like ah. Reading is not, I don't connect with reading, but it's the same thing with books. We can either just like, okay, sit there and watch, or we can actually let the book, reso- the movie resonate with us. When it's mm. in the movie, they put a lot more effort because there is a music to bring emotions, you know, there is a specific angle of the camera to put you in the shoes of, of the character, you know. Whereas a book, everything is a, is a way of like, you need to f- create it in your mind. The person is trying to use words to make you create that in your mind. And as you said, these are skills that can be developed, you know, because it's like before we know it, we just know sometimes one way of reading a book and then we go with that and we think like that's the way because no one actually talk about that. So that's that's why I think like uh, when it comes to PKM, I always like to say, well, rather think on the tools that you want to use, like should I use Obsidian, should I use Scrinto, should I use Notion? It's really like, Let's give one step back and think of the mindsets. What are the mindsets that will help me with my knowledge, with organizing my knowledge, with growing my knowledge? And then based on those mindsets, what are the methods that can put them into practice? And then how can I use my tool to do that? Or if my tool is actually, I cannot do that with my tool, then what is the best tool that I can use for those methods that I care about, for those mindsets that I care about? So I think uh, even as a community, uh, we should f- be thinking much more on the, well, what I'm called mindset. If you think about mindset, definition, people are like, oh, no, there's no, it's not mindset, it's this, that. That's the way how I name it, as, as you know already. Yeah. So I think as a community, we should be thinking more on those mindsets. So if I'm reading a source, what do I want to bring into reading a source? If I'm mm-hmm. taking a note, what are the mindsets that I'm bringing to uh, creating a note? If I'm organizing my PKM, what's the structure I'm using, the tags that I will use? It's not about the tags. It's not about the structure. It's like, what do I want that to support me? What's the way of thinking that I want that to support me? Then how I can actually do that all the way mm-hmm. into writing our outputs. So I think mm-hmm. we should, as a community, should be going much more into mindsets. Uh, first, rather than thinking, Fighting almost. What's the best tool? <laughs> you know? There, there are two things I loved from what you just said. The first is just the term "resonate." I, when I first heard that from Tiago Forte, I was like, "Wow, I'm adopting that as like the way that I talk about something that deeply, just emotionally and intellectually impacts me." Because I don't know the word itself, like just resonate. I just love it. It's so good. Um, and then secondly, I love what you said about mindsets over tools because that that might be actually the biggest mistake not only uh that I've seen many people when they enter into the PKM community make, but also I made so hard. I used to be a Google Drive user, then I moved to Notion, then I moved to Evernote, then I moved to Rome Research, and then finally I moved to Obsidian, which I'm still using today. And that just process of moving every single time brought so much emotional weight to it because I would 
I would have to learn the new program. I would have to think about if I should move my notes from the other program over. And I could have just been getting started and learning how to read behind the behind the words instead of and between the words and and all these other methods instead of like procrastinating over what tool to use. And the fact is we we didn't have digital note taking apps until very recently. Like you know and in fact before writing we were memorizing everything through oral tradition using and also using memory palaces. So we don't even need <laughs> we don't even need a a written tool if we don't want to. I mean they help obviously now, but it's like just get started. It's so much easier that way. Yeah, I also had my own my own personal journey through tools, you know, until I finally was like, you know what, let's go back to the basics. And oh, then, can you can you tell yeah. us about it? I would actually love to hear. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started by really not take well pen and paper and highlights. Uh-huh. That's like my whole uh, journey until like 2010, maybe, <laughs> or even a bit more. It was really like you read and you highlight, and then you just take notes on pen and paper, usually like what you are getting from a lecture because lectures in Brazil, uh, the books, when there was a book, the book was in English and we didn't have money to buy. So whatever you can get from the lecture, that's all the material you have for your exams and for your professional life. Okay. So it was really like my notes were just like pen and paper and just basically transcribing the lecture. That was basically it. So my my notes, that was my PKM, if you like. <laughs> so just like notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. And then I started, I started getting to research. You know, I did like during my undergrad, I did a little bit of a research initiation, as you call. And then after I did my master's. And then I need to, okay, now I need to start making sense of multiple things, deciding what I want to read. You know, not there's no teacher telling me what I should be reading. I need to decide what I want to, to read, which ideas will come into my, into my research, which I ideas i will read and they they may not have a part then i was like well my i was still using the paper pen, pen and paper and it was not really working because it was just ideas all over the place you know ideas all over the place and you i started you start notes when you when it's time to throw the papers away big mistake you are throwing your ideas away you know you spend like years <laughs> years right you know they were throwing away but we do that all the time mm. uh, and then i would see like i had the same idea coming over and over and over again you know they're all big but they're all into paper so i never knew like i should go back to my notes you know because that's another thing that many people don't have like we don't read our notes we're just like i'll just write something transcribe something or not mostly transcriptions they're quotes transcriptions uh, so that we hope that at the time that we need them we'll find them mm. you know so that was that was all I had. And then at some point during actually before I started the PSG or in the PSG, I started with Evernote, which was basically the same. You're just getting rather than a notebook on a paper, we started putting online. You know, that was basically the same. But the thing was the main problem is the practice itself, you know. So it's really like the practice was bad. So we're just moving the bad practice into a digital form in the hope that I will find that using a search, right? <laughs> so now I can search. But if you don't know what you are searching for because you don't remember that you had those ideas, so <laughs> how can you find it? Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, uh, my my research was in linked data, which really like how can we represent knowledge in a way that is linked, you know? So I was really excited about that in a way that computers can process. There are many problems with that, I can say, but it's maybe for another time. And then I came across, uh, I was just looking online how to, because everyone wants to talk about the notion, you know? I was like, what, what is notion? I want to learn. I was like, well, yeah, I can do pretty much the same. There is some database, which is nice. 
And then I felt on a video from Nick Milo. He was talking about Obsidian and how we could link notes. And he had a course and, and a community of people. I was saying, what? A full community of people talking about LinkedIn thing? I want that. <laughs> yeah. I dream come true. <laughs> yeah. So I went there. And then it's where I first learned about Obsidian. And then as part of the community there, that's where I started, you know, like giving the talks and the coaching and everything. That's where mm-hmm. it was the launch pad for, for where I am now. And And my goal was, okay, I want to create an academic workflow. And that's where I started rethinking how I take my notes. I say, well, this thing of having a huge note with everything in a single note is not working for me. So what else, you Mm -hmm. know? And I started getting in contact with the idea of Zettelkasten. And then I started to reflect. And I was like, I know all those things because that's how we think in programming. In programming, you need to think, what are the different ideas that go into this program? You know, why am I not using that for my notes? You know, especially now that Mm -hmm. I know that we can link them. That's where all those things start evolving. So in terms of tools, it was like pen and paper, Evernote, but the process like the same. And then I, I learned about Obsidian. And then nowadays I use Scrinto. Uh, and the main reason I, I changed it to Scrinto was because I could visually organize my ideas. Because mm-hmm. when you're working on one idea or two or three ideas at the same time, Obsidian is fine. Uh, well, now Obsidian has canvas, that, so that's another start. Obsidian was fine at that time. But if you want 20 or 30 ideas at the same time, so you can extract things from them, then I really need some visual organization for that. And then that's what Scrinto was giving me out of the box. And now, mm-hmm. uh, now Obsidian, now it's like... <laughs> It's really hard because I love Obsidian and I love Scrinto. And now they're kind of like, now... Uh, Obsidian Canvas, yeah. Yeah, there is Obsidian. It's hard. Ca- they're still different. They're still different. But now Obsidian also have the bookmarks where you can bookmark a graph. And that is so powerful. Mm. It's just so incredibly powerful. It's like, oh, I hope Scrinto have something like that <laughs> in the near future. You know? well, especially if it's on the visual way, let's say a board inside of a board, you know, so you can have like that because i kind of like do more or less that because it's screen you can have let's say you have cards and you have boards boards the visual space and the card is the note mm-hmm. so you can have let's say a note that represents an idea and you have a board that represents that idea as well because you can have multiple ways to represent an idea you can even have a drawing to represent the same idea so if i have a note that explains the idea and i have a link to the board when i can have more information go in deep and uh, more in depth on that idea then it's a similar thing that you can do now in Obsidian with the with the bookmarks, except that the book the bookmark itself is a thing outside of a note. So there are those two things. You could use like a maybe I'm going to too much detail. Those are the things. Like we need some some drawings to show those things to really see how they look like. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What <laughs> what you said about getting into the the PCAM community and and finding that link based nature really resonated because I think that a a big reason so many of the students I know around me at Cornell are almost like apathetic towards their learning is there's no like personality spunk pizzazz inside of their notes. They're written verbatim from what the professor says. They don't go back to them throughout the semester. There is no connecting between notes across semesters or between classes. And that is all solved with like a link-based note-taking system or a link-based note-taking method. And when you like link your notes together and, and you realize like all this knowledge is fundamentally connected, there's a quote I really like, which is there are no rigid disciplines in the world, only concepts. And that quote 
is so powerful to me because it it has the, in that that idea that you can link stuff that doesn't seem like it's connected together but once you do and you find these interesting connections and you share them you come out with like all these insights that nobody else has and tons of people want to see <laughs> and it makes learning so much more fun because you're like oh now I get to use my own unique perspective inside of my notes, my own experiences, like we were talking about earlier, uh, you feel so much more engaged again. It's interesting because I will disagree, but agreeing with you. <laughs> and what I would disagree is that, the, for example, if you get everyone who is in the state of apathy and they'll say, use LinkedIn notes and that's a solution, they will try and they will fail. And the main reason is not because LinkedIn notes is bad. It's because of the mindset, okay? Because as you say, like most of the notes, is the way of thinking is what I call like the notes as piece of truth. We think like my notes needs to contain only correct things. And the way how we tend to think about that is like, I just transcript what someone said. Like the teacher said, and that's correct. I just do a transcript of that. I just quote that. Uh, or if I read something, I just get a quote transcript so our notes don't have ourselves in there which is like i mean that's what i say i'm agreeing with you but disagree same time. <laughs> so what i think like to really for linkedin notes to work because there are many people they they come into linkedin notes and they fail and they say ah, it doesn't work and the problem is that not that it doesn't work because it is a method so we need to think about the mindset what do you want to do with that so when you write a note it's really like notes are pieces of understanding is how we understand the world, how we understand what you see, how we understand our lectures, how we understand our books. It's, and, and understanding something that is always growing. So we always need to be re, uh, reviewing our notes and, and updating them. Because if our understanding is growing and our notes are a representation of our understanding, our notes should be growing and improving. And that, and when you think about that, and when you write notes in that way, then the uh, link-based uh, notes are really powerful for original original ideas exactly, exactly what you said i'm really glad that you you made you differentiated there between like the method and the mindset what what it reminded me of is a very similar vein where this exact uh mistaking and difference causes a lot of problems and that's when people first get into or when i first got into uh spirituality a lot of people when they when they like venture into, I don't know if you've ever heard of these books, but like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, The Untethered Soul, uh, a lot of books that dive into what it, what is it like to be human? They adopt the methods talked about inside of the books, but they don't, they don't really understand at the fundamental level, the, the mindset that you have to go into them. And there's such a profound difference because you can, you can use all of the meditation, the mindfulness, the yoga techniques that you hear in these books. But if you don't understand uh, the, the mindset behind how using these techniques and why using these techniques can can allow you to really start to experience the world in such in a different way, come at it with so much more awareness. You don't really get that that uh, transformation, uh, and it's exactly the same as with like what you're saying with the linked notes. It's like you know you can use linked notes, but uh, if you don't understand the mindset behind them, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Because at the, at the end of the day, it's all about the human experience, right? It's really like when when you have a method or when you have words even to express ourselves or try to communicate something to someone else, we are trying to communicate an experience, I, 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 something that went through our minds and we are trying to connect, uh, make into words, have an experience that we have and try to make into words in the hope that the other person will get those words and convert them into their own experience. Mm -hmm. But then... 
we kind of learn over time to actually read and 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 hear things without connecting much we we kind of like create this disconnection between what you're experiencing internally and what you are connecting with other people you know so this lack of uh uh, that's why I like come with the idea of resonating like let it connect to your own experience so that then like oh okay now I get it because now I sh- we share an experience then now we can talk at the experience level you know because it reminds me as well I just came to mind for example Pixar they they're classical because they they do they create the cartoons and the cartoons have a different meaning for the kids and for the parents. So an adult mm. will have a completely different experience as a, that from a kid because a kid has way less life experience. So they will they will see some things they will find it fun. It will be interesting. It will be energetic. But for the parents, it can be like a very deep. Uh, uh, reflection, you know, from the situations happening in the cartoons. If we can connect to our experience. You know, if we can let that resonate with us and connect to our personal experience. You know? mm. And and when it comes to PKM, it's kind of the same when we take our notes. We talk like about I like to talk about the object of attention, you know. So it's really like, what is the experience? What's the idea? What's the f- what is this thing? How can I connect, uh, create this thing that I'm actually talking uh, that I want to talk about, that I want to communicate to another human being? And how can I do that in two words? How can I how can I maybe define it? How can I use examples to express it? You know, what are the multiple ways how we can communicate this thing so that another person can understand it and connect to their own human experiments? experience so they can say we're actually talking about the same thing when they say a car when they say moon when they say the colors like blue or green are we talking about the same thing like are we are we associating the same experience the same things to that word or we are just talking past each other no just using the same words but actually not talk about the same thing at all Mm, yeah oh that's so that's so interesting i never heard like someone put it like that uh about the difference between like Pixar films for adults versus children. But like now that you say that, that makes so much sense. The like that's what makes them uh appealing to like some adults that that go there is like, you know, if it only resonated with the kids, the adults would just have a horrible time. But they do such a good job of when they make those films, trying to make it so you can you can get different things out of them based off the experience that you're coming at it to. And you know, I think like you hit on something which I I think is what makes some books like great or some pieces of information great and that is that every time you come back to them you get something different and like uh it's like to me it's a difference between like a a a book that would just be like here's a straight action to-do list in order to do something with no like deeper insight outside of that compared to a book that is like filled with uh different interpretations you could come at it with based off of your experiences and it's like it's the second book that you you find yourself coming back to like every 10 years every five years whatever and you always get something something different out of it yeah i think those those are the best books those are the best books to have in our anti-library <laughs> like, mm, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i say the anti-library are the like the collection of like high quality source that we say i i may not have read yet but i want to read to read at some mm. point yeah that's like really worth my my time mm. and there's a place also for those books that we have read and you say it's worth my time to read them again right mm. oh i have a fun question yeah. uh part of this is going to be a question later but i wanted to ask uh, an aspect of it now and that is from what we just said about like the un uh 
those types of books that, you know, you can come back again and they're always, they're always different. What is like a, a, a book or even a piece of information where you first really struck you as like, oh my God, this is, this is so much deeper than I thought. A- aside from the one you mentioned earlier, where you, uh, when you were boyfriends, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you read that piece of information. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like my, my main problem nowadays is that I don't I cannot finish books anymore because I start like I read one page and then just like it's a multiplicate it's just like there are ideas coming from all the sides and I go in all sorts <laughs> of rabbit holes. I have here a pile of half read books and I'm okay with that because I'm not like I don't have a reason why I must to finish a book, you know, unless like I have a very uh, practical reasons for that. So I let I I like to read many books at the same time and I like to take my notes as I read them so that we don't have that problems like you you only have your notes when you finish reading the books. So that's another thing as well. So I would say most of the books that I read nowadays are like that. But there are books that really impacted my way of of thinking like but i read them and i say i understand i'm thinking about those but i still feel that there is much more behind that that i want to come back to this again uh, again 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 one of them actually have a very nice title <laughs> which is women fire and dangerous things oh wow <laughs> yeah and i, I really like it because and then the title of the book makes the point that, the, that he's trying to make inside of the book because there are different ways how we can categorize things and what even a category means, okay? So he was studying like a, 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 a group in of Aborigines. I don't remember if it was New Zealand or Australia. I think it was New Zealand. I don't remember. And they say how they build their, their language, okay? So their language has basically two broader categories and everything, all the, all the things are associated to that. So one is like a... Women, fire, and dangerous things, they're all into this one category, which you don't know. It's really hard for us to explain what that category is. They are in one category. Doesn't mean that women are dangerous things, okay? They're just one It's almost like it's a feminine <laughs> category, and there is a masculine category. And fire and dangerous things are in the feminine category, and then like water are in the masculine category, you know? Which is kind of different from what we have here, which is more like masculine is more like power, like would be more fire, and women will be more like calm and stuff. They have a different way of, of categorizing. So the whole books are really about like how we build the uh, categories, you know? How we, we come up with concepts, what are concepts and all those things. So I... I Took a lot of ideas from that from that book. Like a lot of there was a lot of thinking, and I didn't read the book until the end. <laughs> okay, and that's one of the books I really want to to come back to. And there is another, which is almost like cheating, saying that that's a book that I want to read again because I have never read it. Okay, yeah, there is one book called Being in Time, and I actually learned about this book from a philosophy class. I went at some point. I quit my PhD uh, a long time ago, and I was like this because. I I got stuck into one point and I say I want to find a solution for that. And the solution is uh, the problem was uh, we are thinking a lot about knowledge from objective perspective. You know, I quit in 2015, so that bus I was taking was in 2015, <laughs> and and I say. I think the solution is like how can we think more from a subjective perspective because we are humans. And we can only understand the world through our eyes. But at the same time, as researchers, we want to create knowledge about the real world. So how can we create knowledge about the real world if we're only looking the world through our own eyes? You know? And then I started investigating that. So I went as deep as I could, which is philosophy. <laughs> so, and then in the class, then I heard about that uh, being in time. 
where it was very interesting because the main question that the guy was trying to, to make many years ago is that, uh, what is the self? Okay, And he was arguing that the problem is that everyone in the last you know, thousand years or whatever were asking, they were not actually questioning what is the self anymore. They were asking in which categories does the self fit? Mm. Because when you when you make the question, what is, when you say what is, that's a process of categorization. What is leads you to class, categorize something. And then he was saying our own language doesn't allow us to make some certain questions because our language is, is changing our way of thinking, you know? Mm. Oh, that's uh, such an interesting insight. Yeah. yeah. So then with all with those two things, that's where I came with the whole like uh, objects of attention because there are those questions that people are like, well, I do the telecasting. What's an atomic note? How big a note should be? Should be a sentence, a word, a paragraph or everything? And I was like, well, I sent uh, a it's one idea, but then comes the question, what is one idea? And that's where I brought all those things that came from philosophy, from linguistics. I put them together to actually try to teach a practical way to, to think about ideas. Okay, how can you create an, a note about an idea? What's an idea? How can you can think of an idea as a piece of understanding then? So I put all those things together. That's where all the all the framework for the, the, the course came about. And that's where my PKM stands now in, on, on top of those those concepts from they, they were inspired by those books. They are not in the books, let's say, the part that mm -hmm. I applied for PKM, but they came from allowing the book to resonate with my own experience of PKM and trying to write for research. Yeah. No, it totally did. It totally did. And I think one of the ideas that I found particularly interesting is that even as a researcher, like we, we've grown, we've been cultured in this system where we have to think of things as objective, like, uh, this needs to be put in this category and this label put on it. Obviously, that does, to some extent, help with the research process, because you need to align the language you're using. If you don't know what you're talking, if you're talking about the same thing as someone else, you know, if my definition for orange is uh, a Donkey Kong, and your definition of orange is orange, we're not going to be able to have a conversation. <laughs> But there's also like questions, like you said, that sometimes actually categorizing or labeling, labeling things actually makes it harder, <laughs> like with the self it's or consciousness. This is a, a incredibly hard debate in the AI field right now is, you know, what is consciousness? And it, in so many ways, it's a question that almost can't be answered because how are you supposed to use language to describe that? Mm -hmm. Um and similarly, how can you describe the self? Paradoxically, trying to figure out those questions can sometimes actually make them harder to get closer to the answer to, even if there is one. Like uh, a whole thing in, in uh, spirituality, going back to that later, that stops people from becoming awakened, uh, is what they would call it in, in the spirituality literature, is they, they hear like some words used inside of these texts like the power of now like uh the untethered soul like soul or now or presence and people are like what does that mean like i need i need labels for it like you know tell me like and they're like we can't tell you like that's kind of the point uh the point of reading these books is not almost it's not to give you more labels to use for things it's to to teach you the the whole I idea of labeling itself being the problem in some cases uh and it's just so so interesting <laughs> I, I love that because uh there are many people like when you think about recent okay define things because we need to define things so that you can explore them but then at some point you need to come back to them to say what happens 
when I change that definition? If I let the boundaries go a little bit more blurred, you know, what how yeah. does it impact on everything that is related to that? And that's where original knowledge comes from, you know. What if I change something that everyone's talking about and it just changes lightly, a, a little bit, you know? So that's where original, like we can say, well, now it comes with an original idea and it can impact the whole knowledge about that that thing you know so it's just by allowing us to actually change a little bit the the (coughs) sorry change the definition itself and many people when they come to we come from the school again you know because in school you have this the definition and a formal definition if you don't say what's exactly the formal definition you are wrong you get a zero there you know so then we learn as if like all those concepts they exist you know the concept themselves exist but you must create those concepts so that it can make sense of what actually exists right mm. so when people start to think about research or learning or anything they are just like okay i want to learn what's the right way of what's the what's the definition of this thing what's the right way of doing that and when it, we come to research to informal research and that's a big struggle that people have because then you need to let let it out you know because like look there are 10 different people let's say studying consciousness and they take they have different takes on what consciousness is and they are following their research in their way try to figure out what's this thing that they are talking about consciousness they they may use the same word but they are not, not talk about the same thing or they may be talking about the same thing but not be using the same words you know and then mm. that's why the the research itself is a big uncertain uncertain like and then people when they come into like formal research they're like struggle a lot with that because we come with this whole thing like, okay there is one way one right way of thinking about a concept where you come to research and like well <laughs> we are trying to figure out you know we are trying to to make sense of those things and change how we think about those things you know and there is a whole different way of thinking so yeah yeah and when I think I always like to bring back to the PKM because that's what I say that there are, when you take notes, there are idea notes. There are notes, there are ideas as in your understanding about that idea and you give a label, a name that makes sense to you. Maybe a label that other people use because you don't communicate as well, right? Or a label that you, at least makes sense to you and you remember that label that you gave to that idea. And then if you have notes like that and start connecting them, that's where you can start creating new ideas. As vague as they are, <laughs> as vague as they are, and give them a new label where you can create something that no one has talked about before. So that's where you can have what I call, I call like, you know, like the sense making strategies. There are so many different strategies you can use if you have just just written like that. The notes are just written in a slightly different way where you can actually create a new knowledge from that. So, mm-hmm. so people don't know the power that the PKM can have, you know, most of the time. It's not just like, I have some notes that I may search for them in the future. It's really like, that's, that's really like your, it's not just your memory, but it's like your ideas, your understanding growing in front of your eyes. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, I really love that. <laughs> it's, it's like completely upending the normal process people have for for consuming things is instead of just reading a piece of information, highlighting it, never going back to the highlights, and then going on to the next piece of information, it's taking a piece of information, incorporating it and, and, and looking at it through the lens of everything else you've read, and then potentially coming out with new ideas from that. Uh, it's a whole like new process. And one of the questions which I think also is a question that has like whole bunches of subjective answers to. So I'm interested in hearing how, how you answer this one is, uh, what, what is the meaning of life for you? 
Yeah, I, I find that the, the question interesting because I have been asking that question for my whole life. Mm-hmm. And the main answer or takeaway or even a more fundamental question than that is like, does it need to have a meaning? Mm. Right? Because we are always like looking around like, oh, what's the meaning? Like my life needs to have meaning. And there is a whole consequence of life not having meaning, personally speaking, uh, for, for many people. But then like the question is like, why, why do we need to have a meaning? You know, because like as humans, we are always building meaning. We are make, uh, meaning making machines, basically. We are, we look around everything like that comes through our eyes, to our any of our senses. We are trying to make sense of that all the time, unconsciously. You know, our body is just like always try to create objects so that we can make sense of the world. So meaning is a part that is like intrinsic to how we function. But that doesn't mean that the life needs to have a meaning without uh, outside of our minds. Let's say it's something. I think it's a construct of our minds themselves. You know. So mm-hmm. I, sometimes I stop to actually think is like, why does life needs does life really needs to have a meaning? You know. So. That's that would be my, my take to that that question. Mm. Oh, that's I I love that answer. And and do you think like if if life doesn't need to have a meaning, is there is there any guiding post that you use in your own life, uh, even without like having maybe a a guiding summary piece of meaning that you still like stick to as a way to live? Yeah, I think like well, there are the values, of course. Like I have my personal values, my mm-hmm. three main personal values, which are like honesty and courage are, are the main ones, and the third one is excellence. Which excellence means like just do a little bit better than average in every single thing. Is so I think the best best way to translate is what my mom once said that her grandma used to say is like leave a place better than you have found it. You know, mm. it's like so that's those are the three basic things that are. I, I usually go for they're like they're the basics of who I am you know so they are kind of like what guides me in like going through life and, and doing the things that I do and for another thing which is important is always always I don't say connective but like always taking caring for people really like I want that I want things to be better you know but sometimes like in our search for things to be better we think like we need to be perfect if we fail to do things we don't forgive ourselves you know so even that feeling that's like i want things to improve i want to do my best for the world you know i want to help people in the, the whatever way i can so i have those thoughts but then sometimes we push ourselves so hard so hard that we break okay they were like oh i'm useless i cannot help anyone you know there are all those things that usually come to mind and that's one of the things that I, one of the times that i stopped to think i was like why there is this why why do I need to be useful? You know, there's this word useful, you know? Why? Maybe we just were like like parasites in the world. Why not? <laughs> maybe that's why we're here. We're just like, we were born and then we, we just exist, you know, we consume things because our body needs to consume and then we die and that's it, you know? Mm. So those are the times that I allow myself to think about that. And I was like, well, go a little bit more relaxed to next day. Okay, how can I, how can I be useful in the world today again, you know? So that's a little bit of the direction we go yeah. when I'm thinking. Yeah, it sounds like almost, and correct me if I'm wrong, but while there might not be inherent like meaning to life itself, you can still live with values and, and practice those throughout your day, uh, even without having a, a meaning that like summarizes everything that you do. Yeah, I think like everyone has kind of like a personal meaning at the end. So it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like cheating a little bit on the question because like, <laughs> maybe maybe life as such doesn't need to have a meaning. Maybe like, we are, why are we in the world? just happens you know <laughs> like why is a dog in the world it just happened you know uh, but mm-hmm. we as humans we are always making meaning so i think for us to be 
to go through life, we we need to build a meaning for ourselves. You always try to search for what's what why am I what am I doing today? What am I being today, you know? So mm. I think we, we are we are making we are building meaning from that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Before I ask the the last question. I wanted to ask you: Is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like me to have asked? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not I don't think so. I think like the main thing, maybe like it's a good thing to to ask. Like for anyone who is listening us uh, here today, it's like how did they can go in, if they want to like think like a researcher, if they mm. want to like think on the first principles connect the dots and create original content, how they get started, you know? And I think mm. the, the the main process, the main point to get started is really like thinking on the mindset. What are the mindsets that you want your system to have? And if I can leave maybe like a few mindsets for people to think about, the it's first one, yeah. yeah. So the first one is to change how you think about your notes. No, notes as piece of truth versus notes as piece of understanding. Okay. Let your notes be a way you express what you're understanding now. Okay. And when you understand change, go back to that note and change that note. So our notes can change over time. So that's the first mindset. Um, notes piece of uh, notes as piece of understanding, not as piece of truth. You can still quote. Let's say from this quote, I extracted those ideas, or these ideas are represented in this quote. Quotes are not a problem. The problem is when we only have the quotes and we don't have our understanding or not. So that's the first mindset. The second mindset, uh, like is a mindset shift, let's say, I would say create first, organize later. Okay. Because sometimes we are, we are trying to organize a note, organize an idea before the idea is born. And ideas are like, they're just, they, are, they come as a storm. They don't come, they don't make sense. They are just crazy. Right. <laughs> so I say, just put everything out like a brain dump, like whatever comes to mind goes straight into the page. Uh, and then after, okay, how can I organize those things? Okay. And then the third one is thinking about ideas, not documents. So you put everything out, you put all your understanding out. Now it's time to organize. Let's organize based on which ideas I care about. Okay. And if you have notes like in Obsidian, in Notion, in Screen, or anywhere where you give names to those ideas, give a name that is meaningful to you. Okay. So notes as piece of understanding. Uh, I, uh, notes as ideas, okay, or, and create first, organize later. So those are the three things that I'll say. If you want to get started in this way that we have been talking about, those are the three ways that you can get started. And the rest is just like details and like going more in, into what works better for you. Mm -hmm. I think those are fantastic three mindsets to get going. And uh, added on to that, just like getting started uh, is always better because you can't change direction unless you are going somewhere in the first place. So it's much more important to just take any one of those three mindsets and just get going, uh, do something than it is to think like, oh, I'll take the whole of building a second brain before I take a single note or the whole of build your knowledge portfolio before I start reading my first book. Uh, no, <laughs> it's, it, it makes much more sense to, to just go. And, and figure it out along the way. Yeah, exactly. My uh, last question I wanted to ask is, what are the, the three books that have resonated with you most? And a little caveat, because I know we talked about those two fantastic ones from before. Uh, maybe choose two others that uh, aren't those, even though those sounded wonderful. Oh, I need to look at my, my bookcase here. Because I have problems like, my memory is terrible. I remember ideas and I don't remember book names. 
<laughs> I remember no. sometimes the, the person who wrote the book, but I don't remember like the name, the names of the books themselves. There are a few, uh, there are a few other interesting books, but they're like they resonate a lot with me. But with other people, they'll be like, eh, whatever, you know, because as I say, books are resonate with our experiences. And I have, for example, I quit my PhD, so there are some books related to that that are really meaningful to me. Uh, but therefore, the people they'll be like, what's the point of reading that? There's mm-hmm. one book that I'm reading now that I'm really enjoying, which is called Semiotics, or Semiotics, I don't know how to pronounce that. And it's really like how to represent, how to create symbols, you know, for example, how do you create a name or a label for a thing, for example, or how mm. it, how our, clo- our clothes can be a symbol, for example, they may be representing something, they re- may be representing a style, for example. So that's one of the books that I'm, I'm reading, The Basics of Semiotics, or Semiotics, The Basics from Daniel Chandler. And that is, that's one that I'm reading. Yeah, there are, there are a few others, but yeah, I'm not sure which ones. I really, it's really hard because people say, can you recommend a book? I say, well, recommend, tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit more about you. <laughs> yeah, so I can recommend yeah. something that that can resonate with you. Yeah, yeah there, there was basically those. Two. Ah, of course, there is one. All my books are in this the same direction. One is called plural, scientific pluralism. Okay, and there is this idea of like how, how you can have like multiple perspectives in science, you know, and how do they work over time? You know, for example, there are some stories which are nice for some of the story of how the concept of the electron came about. You know, because I wow, electrons exist, but like. Over time, we are wandering around until you arrive in whatever is our, our current uh, understanding of it. So that's a, a book that is I find really interesting. Is the scientific pluralism? I never know if it's mm. yeah, scientific pluralism. That's the name. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think what you said about like uh, sort of borrowing from everything that we've talked about over the conversation, you have to figure out if these books would resonate with you based on your own experiences, because everyone's going to come to the book differently. And mm. they uh, maybe if they read it, they'll they'll read scientific pluralism and they're like, that's the best book I've ever read. Or, or maybe they're like, oh, God. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. can people outside of the podcast reach you if they wanted to? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm on Twitter as be a researcher, not be a researcher, it's like be a like from Bianca, B-I-A. Yeah. Researcher. <laughs> yeah, so I'm on Twitter, so I'm open like always open for a chat uh, in there. Or you can go actually if you are interested in learn a little bit more about the mentorship or have the beauty knowledge portfolio course, then you can go to prolificresearcher.com. So those are the main ways to get uh, in contact with me. And I have like a few webinars if people want to get started on this process, they want to learn. It's like I just want to know what it's all about. Uh, so just contact me on Twitter. I will be happy happy to share that with anyone mm. interested. Mm. Awesome. Well, I I am so glad that uh, you came on and, and then we got to, to talk because uh, ever since I took the course and then I started the podcast, I was like, Bianca, <laughs> that's who I'm going to, that's one of the people I'm going to interview. So thank you so much for, for coming on.